0: and Brent S. Murray Hill is our guest today. Murray is Managing Director and CEO of Marinica Energy, a uranium explorer with focused on projects in Namibia and Australia. The company also holds uranium upgrade process technology. The company is listed on the Australian Securities Exchange under the symbol MEY and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol MARXF. Murray thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Well Murray why don't you give the audience your background and and past experience in the uranium sector.
1: So I was um, I'm a metallurgist by profession I was consulting to extract resources on the HUSAB project in Namibia uh, for about six years Uh, prior to that being sold. I've done some consulting for the Berkeley project in Spain and um, was consulting to uh, Maranica Energy when they uh, when we looked at the possibility of, of upgrading the ore and um, subsequently became CEO and then MD.
0: And what did you do before that? Can you speak to uh, your, your work before you Sab, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I cut my teeth on gold uh, and then moved to, through nickel and copper and then into uranium. And I suppose uh, what I'm known for is thinking outside the box and looking at different options to, um, to try and improve uh, the process and the, the efficiencies the costs and so forth. So, yeah, look, um, probably commissioned about twelve or fourteen process plants in my life at various stages, and uh, worked in um, managed a test work laboratory for a couple of years. So, it gave me a bit of an insight into metallurgical test work. Uh, worked for a um, for an engineering company for a couple of years to sort of understand the study side of things uh, before embarking on on the um, a consulting career for 10 years, um, and then moving into this job.
0: Well, very well. Are you familiar with uh, Adelaide Control Engineering? No, I'm not. They have some good process solutions over there, and Glenn's a, a prior guest on the show. How about the uranium market, Murray? Your view on when and what moves this market?
1: Well, the fundamentals uh, are there, and the, the supply side um, is has dropped. Um, Cameco has cut back. The Kazakhs have cut back. Uh, other others, so they're taking somewhere in the order of 40 million pound out of the market each year over the last couple of years. So you know there's certainly a supply shortage. Um, Cameco are buying on spot. They talked in their quarterly last week or the week before about you know picking up 20 million pound on spot this year, um, just trying to squeeze the market uh, to increase your uranium price. At, at the moment, what's somewhere in the order of 70% of the world's production is underwater, and that's not sustainable. So, something has to give and the uranium price is the thing that's got to give. Now, what's the trigger for that to go? Um, I think uh, the Section 232 in the States has sort of delayed things a little bit, uh, put a little bit of um, confusion in the market, um, or the, sorry, in the, in the utilities mind as to what's going to happen. And with the US consuming sort of 25% of the world's production, um, their stocks are dropping while they're waiting to see what, um, what the US government decides. And I think once, once they realize that, that uh, or once they get some sort of clarity there, and also realize that production doesn't happen overnight. So they may, may be thinking that, you know, in 12 months' time, people can ramp up and Kameke can restart and Langerheinrich can restart. But they're at least 18 month exercises. So I really think that they just, they're probably not in touch with exactly what's happening and, and not realizing that uranium production is years away. Uh, so they're not going to see, if they, if they drop inventory too far, uh, they're not going to pick it up real quickly. So I think there's going to be a bit of a scurry once they realise that and, um, and the longer it does take to rise, the harder it's going to run. Uh, I think we'll probably see the $100 we saw um, in 2007, not sustained, but it'll spike there and come back down at a, and settle at a different or lower level but certainly a lot higher than it currently is. We're talking a lot of production around the world needs a trigger price of somewhere in the order of 65 to $75 a pound. Um, you know, we're sitting at $25 a pound. So there's nothing to incentivize new production. Uh, and until that's incentivized uh, you know, there's, there's gonna be a shortage of uranium for utilities. So when's it gonna happen? Could it happen this year? Could it happen in the next three months? Is it next year? Everybody's got a crystal ball but I don't think anybody's got an accurate crystal ball. Um, And nobody really knows. I think it's just gonna be when utilities realize that the uranium's not there for them.
0: Right, I certainly agree with some of your points. And you know, the utilities, uh, I, I do believe there are some smart people at some of the utilities, and then also there are some dumb people. And you get that a lot with these industries and some of the energy supply industries can become complacent. Some things get missed and obviously they missed it the last time. And it's certainly possible that they'll miss it again this time. Um, I think that the long-term contracting will eventually be the key to really driving this thing forward. I I think really all the rest of this stuff at this point and over a couple of years, even my opinion has has changed to some degree that things like 232, things like Japan restarts and these things are are really kind of a a sideshow, if you will. And the really the main event is is certainly the long-term contracting cycle. So we'll see how that goes. Well, tell us about your company, Murray. It's an interesting company name. Give us a quick overview of the company.
1: So the company name um, it comes goes back to the farm in Namibia, which the deposit, the main deposit that Marinica held a few years back. That was the name of the farm that the deposits on. So that's where the name originated. The company is um, it, it's a ASX listed, as you said before. It's a um, it, it's a very active company we're, um, uh, we're actively exploring in Namibia. Uh, and we've got the largest land holding for nuclear fuels over there. We're successfully exploring, I'll go through some results in a minute. And um, we've just done an acquisition in December last year for 48 million pound of 859 PPM um, U308 in Australia. Uh, so we've got some work to do on those, uh, to add value to those through our through our smarts. And um, and we've, as you said before, we've got this upgrade process, which, which uh, is a differentiator between us and our peers and significantly reduces the cost base. And sort of going back to Maranika itself, we are a small company. There's um, two and a half of us in Perth. Uh, we've got a, a, a manager in Namibia and then consultants in both Namibia and Australia, both geological consultants, uh, guiding us on our exploration program and acquisition program. So we're a very, very small company, uh, low cost subsequently. And um, we, we understand it's difficult to raise money in this uranium market um, so we can serve our cash and spend it very wisely
0: well can you talk a little bit about the capital structure for us how long do you see that the current cash will last you guys and then also what key backers are on the share roster
1: so uh, we've got 170 million shares on issue so a, a low number of shares um, tightly held with uh, the top 50 um, I said the top 20 hold about 50 percent um, my personal holding through my wife and, and i is uh, we're the sixth largest shareholder so we're invested in the story uh, our largest shareholder is 9.9 percent uh, a chinese company called hanlong uh, and then sort of um, some high net worth individuals in amongst the top 20 as well so um yeah quite quite tightly held uh, um, stock at the moment and the cash look the cash is about one million at the start of the year Uh, We've got some expenditure commitments uh, around the Australian assets. We're probably looking at raising. uh, And we don't want want to get that cash down too far before we start raising. So probably somewhere in the next quarter.
0: Okay. And Murray, what percentage of the shares uh, does management own specifically? And how much do you own and at what price?
1: We're all about, um, I think that we've got about 3.5% with the management and directors. I've got about 2.5% of those. Um, most of us are set somewhere around the 10 cents and even higher. Um, some of the purchases I made prior to that were 14 and 17 cents. And the current share price is sitting at seven. So we're, we're set a little bit higher than the current share price.
0: And Murray, can you speak to your approach on compensation? I know compensation is certainly a, a, an issue that investors, a lot of investors look at or should be looking at. Can you speak to your compensation specifically, how you approach compensation, and how are you keeping a lid on general and administrative costs?
1: So we'll go, go back three or four or five years ago when it was really tough to raise some money. Um, I was getting paid in shares. And unfortunately, the Australian tax office don't see that, and they see it as cash. So you've got to pay tax on those shares. So you're effectively paying the government to work for the company. Um, I underwrote personally uh, some of our capital raisings. Um, So we've been through a difficult time and and making sure that we didn't spend too much cash on on personnel. Uh, Back then we didn't have a CFO. It was just me and a girl Friday uh, and no one in Namibia. Now, Now we're in a bit better position. We do pay... Um, cash to myself and the CFO, and and our consultants. Uh, but generally, you know, a few years back we were looking at how we could pay uh, in shares as many of our invoices as we, we possibly could. But that has changed a little bit. That's not that's not sustainable um, for for the people being paid. And um, you know, once you're in a in a better position, I think all stakeholders uh, believe it's a better thing to do to pay people cash.
0: Let's go back to the transaction with Optimal Mining for the Australian uranium projects. Is that deal completed, and what are the terms of the convertible preferred shares?
1: That was completed in De- on December twenty. Um, we had to get shareholder approval on December ten, and then we what we did was we, we paid. So we picked up forty eight and a half million pound um, of uranium assets at an average grade of eight hundred and fifty nine ppm. We paid two hundred and fifty thousand, and I'm talking Australian dollars all the time. We're talking 250,000 cash we paid to them and then we distributed 2. Point, sorry, 27.5 million shares in species. So those convertible preference shares uh, was a former share that then distributed to the shareholders of Optimal and then they, as soon as they got distributed they converted to a fully paid share. So each each of the uh, Optimal shareholders received um, a ratio um, of Warenika shares according to what shares they had in Optimal. Uh, and now they're all fully paid shares and they can, they're they traded on the market.
0: Let's move back over to Namibia for a minute, or actually, if you want, you can speak to the Australian projects. What's the key focus project at this point? And can you just overview uh, what you guys are doing in both Namibia and Australia? No need to speak to Namibia as a jurisdiction. I fully understand that it's the best in Africa, so we don't need to discuss that. But let's talk specifically what you guys are doing on the ground there.
1: Okay, so, what, what, so let's just talk about the upgrade process. It, it's um, it's a beneficiation process developed in-house uh, within Maranica uh, through um, some directors and myself on a, on a technical steering committee, along with industry experts and they include um, people from CSIRO here in Australia. And uh, we've developed this upgrade process which we have three patents granted over it, um, a lot of in-house know-how and how it works. It's essentially taking um, unit operations commonly used and commonly known unit operations from say the gold the base metal and the mineral sand sector and putting these into a flow sheet in an unconventional manner for uranium and and the reason it works is because we're dealing with secondary deposits We're not this upgrade is not applicable to primary deposits. So in Namibia for instance uh, the Rossing mine which has been operating continuously for 44 years it doesn't work on their primary ore. Uh, there's pallier channels Uh, that are secondary deposits in Namibia and there's a lot of them around. The known deposits are Langerheinrich and Tumas, um, Tricopi and Maranika are the four sort of known deposits. Um, We've tested our upgrade process on those ores and they all work very, very effectively. And the reason they work is that we focus on the gang minerals in the ore and remove those based on their characteristics before the final step is concentrating uranium. So what we end up with is we reject over 95% of the mass that's, that's mined, so we have less than 5% of the mass to then take to a leach circuit. Now on the Maranica deposit, which is only 100 ppm roughly, uh, we can reduce that mass to 1.5%. That, that low mass, high value concentrate, uh, and say for instance at Maranica it's 100 ppm, we take it through to 5,000 ppm, that concentrate can be taken off site and leached at say Rossing, have been there for, as I say, 44 years. So they've got an established leach circuit, established uranium refinery, uh, established reagent corridors, transport corridors, and a tailing dam. We wouldn't have to build that that Maranica. So that in, that it reduces our environmental footprint. But we do have the option that we could put a leach refinery, tailing dam, and um, reagent corridors in if we if we wanted to. So, we've done a study on uh, a scoping study on the Maraniki Uranium project. Unfortunately, ASX won't allow us to release that because our deposit is, is in, in the inferred jaw category, uh, has to be indicated for ASX to allow studies to be released. So, we have got in the public domain that it's about a C1 of 40 to $45 a pound. Now, what we've established is that $45, 45 bucks a pound we, means we've got a, probably a trigger price of $75 a pound on that project along with a lot of our peers. But the the um, upgrade process is the costs are mostly tons based. So if you double the grade, you halve the cost. If you triple the grade, hence you reduce the cost down to a third. So we've established that um, for a 300 to 350 PPM deposit, our costs are probably less than 20 bucks a pound, right? now for less than 20 bucks a pound, okay, your own price currently is 25, you're not gonna develop it. But at 45, 50 bucks a pound, that's your, probably your trigger price. So we're ahead of our peers for a deposit that runs 300 and 350 ppm. So what our target's been over the last year in particular has been to focus on areas of Namibia that potentially could um, host paleochannel deposits of that sort of grade 300 to 350. Now, down south uh, of the of the Orongo region in Namibia where the Lange Heinrich and Tumas deposits are, Tumas is somewhere in the order of 300 to 350. Laying higher, a bit higher at 500 ppm. We've actually pegged ground upstream of those in these old on these old um, pallier channels, and uh, we've just been drilling from July last year. And we're hitting um, 13 meters at 900, including two meters at 4,500 ppm. u 308. Um, we just put an announcement out a week and a half ago. We hit three meters at just over 3,000, including one meter at a bit over 7,000 in a in a hole that was four meters deep. So we're talking about a drill program with success, um, but the drill program is only 20 meters deep. So for us to drill out, we drilled out a uh, copies, uh, EPL copies two is the area we drilled out the Paleo Channel. It's about 3.6 kilometers wide and 1.2 kilometers north to south. That costs us uh, 64 holes. That costs us 60 grand Australian to drill that out. That is a very, very low cost uh, for exploration. So what our philosophy is, is to, is to identify mineralized envelopes uh, around these, these uh, on these EPLs we've got in Namibia to, to um, find these deposits of 300 plus ppm um, that we can then develop as uranium price starts to move up. So, and develop a lot sooner than our, than our peers. So we're having um, a lot of success in Namibia on, in Namibia on uh, exploration and we'll continue our exploration plan over there uh, because we know we can we can upgrade these, these deposits and we know we've got optionality on our concentrate processing. So So the strategy was then you know continue that. now we've got the large, largest land holding for nuclear fuels in Namibia and, and we'll keep exploring that this year. The strategy then was'll say well upgrade works well in Namibia uh, and we'll explore there well what else is around that we could apply our, our smarts to And this uh, these optimal assets come up for sale. All but one of them were ex-Paladin assets, uh, and Paladin were focused on Langer Heinrich in Namibia, Kalik here in Malawi, and Canada, and uh, and other parts of the world, and didn't really pay a lot of attention to these assets they had in Australia. So they're very much underdeveloped, um, and we could see that uh, most of those deposits we can add value to um, through application of upgrades. So what we're looking at this year is to look at okay, let's let's do some test work on some of these uh, these deposits. See what upgrade can do to it. How much can we lower the cost base? We know that the main deposit, the Angela deposits, is £31 million at 1300 ppm, which is exceptional grade. But it's got somewhere in the order of 120 kilos per ton acid consumption. We know that in Namibia, we've removed all the acid consumers from these ores that we're dealing with, and we have a very, very high confidence level that we can reduce, we can remove those acid consumers and lower the acid consumption and hence lower the cost. So, Work there, and also some of the um, some of the work in Australia has had a lot of drilling on it, but no resource. So we'll look at a couple of the projects that and put a resource on those potentially. So really low cost, um, low hanging fruit uh, to add value to those assets. So that's um, that's really where we're at, and really it's all underpinned by upgrade.
0: I want to talk more about upgrade in a moment, but let's go back to Namibia. So you guys, and I haven't looked at the drill results, Marie, so maybe you can fill me in. Obviously, in in Namibia for the paleo channel uh, type deposits, generally low grade at surface, which is fantastic in the economics. Um, so, So can you speak a little bit more to, one, how the drilling results are beginning to delineate an actual notable deposit? Can you speak to that? And and when you guys would have resource estimates coming out on the drilling results coming out of those tenements, and then also you guys are right next to Deep Yellow, Tumas, can you speak to the relationship with Deep Yellow and working in that area?
1: Yeah, so we're we're, uh, actively drilling. Um, We've had three campaigns. Um, We're getting results, I think I mentioned before, 13 meters at 900, including two meters at 4,500. I think that that was from about two meters of uh, below surface, and then another one 10 meters at 687, including two meters at 1974, and the latest one was three meters at three, I think it's 3087, including one meter at 7060. So all good grades. What our plan is to continue the exploration the low cost exploration program, um, whereby we delineate the mineralized envelope, uh, and if we can sort of delineate a larger area and a longer channel, then we know that there's gonna be a decent sized resource in there. So rather than go in and drill resource now on, on a grid pattern um, and spending, you know, maybe a million or so dollars on that, we'd much rather conserve our cash, define the mineralized envelope, and then when the uranium price starts to move, come back in and resource drill it. So the area at copies to at the moment is 3.6 kilometers by 1.2 kilometers. To go and resource drill that, you're probably looking at two to three months. So if you, your only price moves, you kick off a study, uh, the first thing you'll do is go in then resource drill. So you'll have the money to do it then. At the moment, we're better off spending money, um, a, lo- a small amount of money, on an advanced exploration program trying to define the area as opposed to trying to find define the exact number of pounds in there. So that's our strategy. We've talked to our, our major... Um, brokers here in Australia about that strategy. I did a roadshow over the East Coast last week and talked about that and that was well received. Uh, so, so that's where we're at at the moment rather than trying to get resource pounds and really do that. And that's what DPO across the boundary are doing now. They're, they're doing a lot of drilling to identify resource pounds. Uh, they're, they're moving down a study path uh, and hence they've got to do a lot of drilling to get their resource from inferred into indicated. So that's that's our strategy there. Um, in terms of relationships with neighbours, um, you know they're going about their business, we're going about ours. Uh, we have upgrade process, they don't. Um, so we think we're in a whole, whole lot better position than them from in terms of cost base. Um, they're a bit more advanced in their in their exploration and they're defining the resources. Um, uh, but uh, you know their cost structure is going to be higher than ours because they don't have upgrade. So that's that's where we are in Namibia.
0: Let's talk about the upgrade system. So just backing up a little bit before we get into more detail, can you clarify this system is wholly owned by the company and it has all the rights and patents, is that correct?
1: That's absolutely correct.
0: Okay, can you explain a little bit more on how it works? What types of abilities does it need and what types of deposit? You already mentioned some of the deposits it really can work with, so let's cross that out. But what hardware is needed on the ground and what chemicals, if you can speak to that, what's needed there? speak a little bit more to, I know you mentioned some costs earlier, but let's speak to some all in costs of what it takes. And can you also speak to production capacity, how much, and put this into something we can visualize.
1: Okay. So Upgrade was developed on the Calcrete deposit, the Channel deposit of Maranica. And we then realized that we could use it for, apply it to other deposits of the same style. So that's what we did. And we're also learning that any superficial deposit it's going to have uh, have an effect on um, so uh, so really basically secondary deposits um, then occur in semi-arid to arid regions around the world um, that um, are all near surface so the process itself is is basically taking uh, looking looking at the, the minerals within this um, within these deposits and then sort of going well okay how do we how do we upgrade the uranium um, and what we establish it rather than upgrading uranium, we're looking at the, the gang minerals. What gang minerals are there? What associations do they have? And what properties do they have? And we exploit those properties to, to remove the gang minerals. Um, you know, we're talking quartz and feldspars and, and biotite uh, or calcite, um, clays. So we're just looking at those properties to, to remove them, right? And the, the unit operations we're using. Uh, scrubbers screens cyclones those sorts of things right and and nobody's really in uranium understood how they could use that and what and what purpose they could use it for um, so it, it's just an unconventional way of approaching it uh, in terms of rejecting the waste as opposed to concentrating the valuable commodity and so the final step is is concentrating the value of commodity so so there's very few chemicals involved i mean obviously if you if you're Removing sort of clay minerals, you need to thicken that, so there's there's flocculants involved and those sorts of things. But but nothing like you know there's no acid involved at all. It's not, so it's not chemically attacking any of the any of the ore. It's just it's just working with their physical properties. So that that then uh, because they're commonly used on unit operations, we can then take that to an engineering group and say right scale this up, and and they have no problem scaling it up uh because they've used and scaled up these operations these unit operations uh in the past on many different um, commodities so it, it's a quite a it's a straight through process it's uh as much as i hate to say it, it's a simple process because it took us a fair while to develop it but when you when you um you know we've had a few people inside the black box and they've looked at it and gone Jesus, how obvious is this when you when you explain the or explain what you're doing it is so obvious and I can't believe people haven't thought of it. But, you know, we thought of it out of necessity. We had to do something. We were a single project company uh, with a trigger price for the Maroneka project of in excess of $100 a pound. If we didn't do something innovative, we were going to disappear up our own backside. So um, the option was to walk away and try and find something else to do or do something innovative. And And this innovation that we've come up with is now, the enabler, the catalyst for us to grow as a company. So, the beauty of it is that we can we can put an ore. say so we can do, build a three million tonne per annum plant producing, you know, one and a half two million pound of uranium per annum um, in a concentrate for in the order of fifty to sixty million US dollars. Right. So it's a low cost um, capex, right, uh, and that's producing a concentrate we can track to it to another site. So. That's for a, for a company like us, a small uh, resource company, that's an achievable target, getting into production um, at that sort of capex. If our capex was 600 million, then it's not it's not, you know, it's not possible for us to get into production by ourselves. Okay. So what we can do is we can work towards getting into production of a concentrate, taking it to a third party to leach it. Now that, that could be simply buying the concentrate office. It could be toll-treating the concentrate. And selling the yellow cake for us or tolerating the concentrate and then giving us a yellow cake to sell ourselves. So there's a number of options, and that's why I say there's optionality on the concentrate. Um, and it's, so it's a low, a relatively low capex entry uh, for development for us. And because there's no long lead items in it, you know, from the, the construction period is going to be no more than 12 months. And then the commissioning you're not commissioning a leach circuit and trying to get all this chemical balance right, you're not commissioning a refinery. All right. So you're only commissioning uh, beneficiation unit operations, so so achieving nameplate capacity is going to be a lot quicker than if we had a leach refinery. And if you're taking a concentrate to an established leach refinery that's been there, say for instance one that's been there for 44 years, well they know, uh, you know, they plant so well that they're going to they're going to get maximum recovery from day one. So it's um it's quite it's quite uh, a novel. Uh, innovative processes that's, that's, uh, that we're very um, pleased that we own, uh, very pleased that we developed, and uh, our technical steering committee has a very, very high confidence level that uh, that it can be applied to all different ores. And in Namibia, we've tested Heinrich ore, we've tested Tumas and Ossinanas, we've tested Dracopi, and obviously developed it on Maranika. So all the Channel deposits we've tested um, and all that varies is, is the ratio of the different minerals present. Um, that's the only thing that varies. So re- rejecting the minerals is, um, is the same for all the deposits and concentrating the uranium into a, into a low-mass concentrate. So yeah, okay. it's, it's a smart, smart process.
0: So take us back for a sec. So 50 to 60 million U.S. builds you the, the system, the U-upgrade system that you're referring to, the processing system. So you're coming out with an excavator, digging the shallow material, and you're sending it through a series of screens and scrubbers. Walk us through that.
1: So we actually wouldn't use an excavator. We'd use a uh, surface miner, um, okay. and just and just roll through, producing you know minus 100 millimeter mined material that you then put straight into a wet scrubber. So you're not dealing with you know drill blast. Uh, you're not dealing with stockpiles and crushes and generating dust in uranium. You're basically taking your ore straight through to a wet process immediately. So you're reducing the dust impact and OHS no issues. So. Um, yeah, basically it's a very simple. As you say, it's it's, it's all. Well, I said before, it's all within 20 meters of surface. So strip ratios are low, um, and uh, you can you know uh, simply transport it to your beneficiation circuit uh, and get it wet straight away.
0: Okay. And, and what kind of capacity for that 50 to 60 million? What kind of capacity are are we talking about?
1: That's three million ton per annum of ore.
0: Okay, and no problem as far as scalability.
1: No, not at all. That's um, that's that's no issue at all. In, in, in any engineering group in the world could scale these unit operations. We may have to do a pilot or a demonstration plant because it's a new process, right? But that depends on on the investors at the time.
0: Okay, and as far as licensing at the site, no issue.
1: No issue, no.
0: So you guys had some agreements. You've mentioned uh, some of them, and and I think you'll have to update me because I'm not familiar or not up to date with some of the agreements. So you had some stuff, uh, some agreements with Paladin. You had uh, some agreements with Deep Yellow, and maybe some others. Can you speak to the current agreements that are in place and what is the status of the testing?
1: We had uh, an agreement with um, Deep Yellow on on application or use of the upgrade process. Um, they their ceo changed and and didn't like the agreement um we all looked at it and thought well at the at the way we were headed we were headed down a pathway so when we put the agreement in place we basically had the Marinic uranium project and upgrade that's all we had um and you know we were never going never going to get into production until the uranium price got to 75 bucks a pound so we were we were looking at selling third party um you know our, our selling third parties our upgrade process so when Deep Yellow come on board and said, oh, we don't like this, we'd already moved down the path of putting our destiny into our own hands by exploration and acquisition. So, you know, in, in every agreement, there's um, there's pros and cons to the agreement, and, uh, and we just looked at it and thought, well, okay, we'll, we'll go along and say, yes, we, we'll push the agreement aside uh, because we are moving down our path ourselves. They can go and do it. Um, go and do their thing, and if they need upgrade in the future, they'll have to come back to us. Um, We believe they will need upgrade in the future to lower their cost base, uh, but we'll see what happens in their study. But now we've, instead of making a little bit of money per year out of uh, trying to license it to a third party, we're planning to making a lot of money by applying it to our own assets. So hence, you know, the success we're having at drilling in copies in Namibia, uh, 300 to 350 ppm resource, more than likely going to come out of that we're gonna make a hell of a lot more money out of applying upgrade to our own deposit than we ever would by applying it to a deep yellow deposit. So that was a sort of amicable agreement that that we'd push that aside. Um, And then um, we did a lot of work on Langer Heinrich. Um, They've had a number of CEO changes, and another one again, um, just in the last month. Um, So we'll, we'll go back to the new CEO when he's got his feet under the table and have a chat to them. But at the moment, we don't need third parties you know we've got upgrade we've got uh, we've got uh, at the edge over our peers um, so we'll, we'll, we're at the stage where you know, third parties need us more than
0: than we need them so speak to that just a little bit more because obviously John Borjoff was the CEO of Paladin he put that together Langerheiner and the company he's over at Deep Yellow they're not interested at this time in what you guys got going is it the fee structure that's a problem is it what you guys are requiring for fees? And then two, are you guys going to build your own processing facilities in the event that nobody else, Langer Heinrich or Hugh Sab, will allow you to process at their facilities? What's your thoughts?
1: So uh, the the finer detail of why we don't have an agreement with Deep Yellow, I won't go into. Um, it's not to do with the fee structure. We'll build our own processing plant and we'll produce a concentrate that we either Take to leach ourselves, or we take to a third party. We're not going to take the concentrate to Langer Heinrich. Uh, Heinrich, you've got an alkali leach running at 92 plus degrees Celsius, whereas you go to Rossing, they're running their acid leach at ambient temperature. We've done some uh, acid leaching on our concentrate we've produced. We produce an intermediate concentrate um, through the process at, say, so 2000 ppm. We got 99.5% recovery inside four hours from acid leaching. Um, so, we're not going to go to an alkali leach with uh, with the concentrate, and uh, we don't need to because we have removed all the acid consumers. So we'll go an acid leach. So, so Langenheinrich is not an option for us to take a concentrate to. But um, you know, Husab could be. You mentioned Husab. Uh, they've got an acid leach uh, and and certainly a, a refinery that's got plenty of capacity in it, uh, based on the fact their front end is not operating uh, to full capacity at the moment. So. Uh, and Rossing have got excess capacity. Most of these plants have designed their refinery for a higher grade than they're currently processing. So they've all got excess capacity in their refineries that can be utilized.
0: So Murray, let's let's talk about the fee structure so I can understand that. Um, Can you explain what you guys look for? Because I know you've done some agreements what is the fee structure? How do you approach that? And is the fee structure, in your opinion, given that you have quite a bit of experience in it with those particular mines, including your experience at Husab, is that fee structure sufficient to attract deals with existing mines?
1: I don't want to focus too much on the fee structure because it depends on on the client or the third party. You know, if you're dealing with a a large um, company, you may you may char- you may be a, a one off payout. Uh, if you're dealing with a smaller one, it could be, you know, a royalties type stream. But um, we're really focused on ourselves now, right? And we're not we're not really looking at third-party application of upgrade as much as we used to. Because we've got these great assets in Namibia, we're exploring successfully, and we've got these assets in Australia we can apply our smarts to. So we're not really looking at, at third parties. I mean, if they come along, uh, and as I say, if they, they, they need us more than we need them. So if they come along and talk to us, well will go through the fee structure that's applicable for them. But there's there's a lot of options for a fee structure and, and you know, anybody can look up the internet and go, well what how do we get value out of it? And it's really it's just a it's a function of how much value add, right? And you might go for a percentage of that value add. So you never you never sort of I mean you're only you're only getting what part of what they're additionally making out of it. So that that's where we would be if we went down that path, but we focus more on ourselves at the moment. So We really haven't given, you know, fee structures of late uh, much for thought.
0: And so if you guys are focused on yourselves and you guys run this way with your costs to, to put in what you're speaking of at current projects, you know, first 50 to 60 million, what would it take to go ahead and just put in what you need and finish out the process to get it right into cake and a can and deliver it?
1: Yeah, I suppose we haven't uh, or we haven't looked at the capex for the leach refinery. This is just the capex for a beneficiation circuit. So I'm not sure of the numbers off the top of my head. Um, we know when we did um, when we were looking at studies, we know we could reduce the capex by 50% um, if we put a refinery in, and then we if we took didn't put the refinery in, 25%. So on that basis, then probably it's another 50 60 million to put uh, leach refinery reagents tailings in. So. Um, you know, if you built your own, you're looking at 100, 120 million uh, for your own leach refinery, uh, as well as your beneficiation circuit.
0: Okay, so complete, we're talking 120 all in. 100,
1: 120 all in, yeah. If okay, if you, you if you understand. produce if you produce yellow cake on site, that's right.
0: Correct, US. Okay, very interesting. And can you speak to the capacity based on what you said there?
1: Yeah, if it's one and a half to two million pound per annum is what you've okay. been producing out of that plant.
0: Very well. So what are the plans for the company in 2020, Murray? Can you just speak to what
1: you guys are going to be working on? Oh, well, the plan is to continue exploration in Namibia. We're having a lot of success. Uh, we just made an announcement um, last week, um, uh, started last week about what we have achieved uh, from the last drill program. And we've also uh, done some EM, ground EM, which we've uh, identified the channel is actually wider in the east than we first thought. Uh, so we'll continue to do that EM Uh, Next week, and plan a drill program around that. Uh, Then we'll start moving into the um, uh, the adjoining EPL. We're just waiting for environmental clearance, so we'll get that hopefully in the next couple of months. And then we'll start moving into that EPL. And there's another couple of EPLs we've got that are significantly larger than copies uh, that will move into expiration. So really um, spending a small amount of money uh, trying to identify uranium mineralization. And one thing I will say is that back in the 70s, General Mining was a company operating in Namibia on uranium exploration. They found the Langa Heinrich deposit, and they've identified a lot of uh, prospective exploration targets on these EPLs we've picked up, which is one of the reasons why we picked them up. So we'll be going looking at those uh, and putting a bit of EM on it and some drilling around it. But we know that you know 60 holes or 64 holes costs us 60,000, so you know a thousand dollars a hole on average. Um, that's pretty low cost exploration. I don't think you'd have too many uh, people you talk to that can say they drill a hole for on average $1,000 um, because most of them are drilling 200, 300 metres. So we're, we're looking at very, very shallow exploration, low cost exploration. So we'll continue to do that in Namibia this year. Uh, then in Australia we'll look at adding value through uh, application of upgrade and putting resource estimates on on some of these um, uh, the extensive drilling that's been done in a few the projects.
0: Murray, if you guys focus on your Namibian assets is, is really the, the focus for building out a project here and producing yellow cake, if that's the right you guys go, have you started conversations with utilities as far as supply offtake agreements or long-term contracts? Or do you see that your guys' projects would be amenable to just selling in the spot market?
1: No, we're not at the stage to talk to utilities yet. You know, when we, once we get a resource um, you know, once the uranium starts, price starts to move, we drill out the resource around the copies, uh, and we find it's you know the 300 to 350 ppm range. Then, then that's the time we'll start talking utilities. At the moment, uh, it's it's you know, a um, mineralized envelope uh, that we have to drill out later, so it's a little bit premature. And obviously, of course, the option too is that we. I mean, I don't think we'll ever go into the spot market. Um, there's been a few people burnt from going to the spot market, and staying there, and not putting contracts in place. Uh Langer Heinrich was one that did that. Uh we'll we'll go. Uh, you know, the optionality is, you know, if we go to Rossing, for instance, we might actually feed into their contracts. Uh, so there's a there's a quite a few discussions to be had uh with off takers if we call that in sort of off concentrate, uh, before we start talking to utilities. Uh but we'll, we'll we're not quite at the stage of getting to utilities discussions yet.
0: Okay, yeah, I would say, uh, granted, uh, given last cycle, I can't think of anybody maybe, but Prom. I think everybody did a poor job of covering their ass, not just Langer Heinrich. I think everybody (laughs) missed the boat. So let's talk about in strategy, Marie. Your guys' plan, do you guys really see that you guys are gonna plan to develop out and become an operator, or do you guys see uh, this company as a takeover target?
1: Because of the low capex, right? Uh, we will move down the path of developing and becoming a producer. The likelihood of us getting to that stage is possibly low, because you know we believe we'll have some very good assets. Uh, and as soon as the uranium starts price starts to move, uh, you know we'll be a takeover target. There's no doubt. But we're not we're not positioning ourselves for takeover. We're positioning ourselves to be a producer. And um, whatever happens along the way, you know, we can't necessarily influence that. We'll just we'll just work down the path of becoming a producer, see what happens.
0: And what is your plan if this market drags out with no notable action over the next three years? What's your plan to survive out?
1: Well, we'll continue to value add by low cost exploration. So we might only spend three hundred thousand Australian dollars a year in Namibia on exploration, right? And if we can define a large envelope. Um, it's not, you know, the option is to, let's say the option is to hibernate and spend $1,000,000 a, a year roughly, right, of sitting doing nothing uh, versus the option of spending another 300000 a year um, building a, a, a high-quality asset base. You know, it's not much more money to explore for us than it is to survive. So our strategy has been continue to um, be proactive, right, and build uh, the company up uh, based on the upgrade process and, and successful exploration and acquisition, as opposed to sitting there waiting for your uranium price. So yeah, if it takes three years, it's going to be tougher, right, To 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 last that long, but you know at the end of the day, you're getting closer and closer to that uranium price rise, and you know I think you're going to find uranium bulls just keeping the money coming in just to keep keep us going, particularly if we're exploring successfully. I don't think we're going to have a lot of trouble raising enough because we're not asking for twenty million dollars. We're asking for two or three million. Right? It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not a high price to pay uh, to leverage yourself to uranium price. And and on the leverage aspect, we've. I'll take you back to 2011, after Fukushima. Right. This is uranium price was fifty to fifty-five dollars a pound. The Husab project that extract held was was sold for four dollars fifty US a pound. So call it somewhere around the $6 Australian a pound. Our current market capitalization and our known resources, right? Not, not the blue sky we've got, we're sitting at five Australian cents per pound in the ground. So I'm not suggesting we're going to be the $6 that um, HUSAB was sold for, but I'm suggesting that we've got an extremely high leverage to the Iranian price. Any uranium price move, we're not going to be five cents a pound. We're going to be... A lot more than that, where it could be fifty or a dollar or more. So you know we're building leverage to the Iranian price by acquisition, and the more we explore, essentially the lower our, our, our value per pound is because you know if we go and put forty or fifty million pounds somewhere in the in the uh, the Namib Desert east of where copies, or sorry, east of where um, uh, Deep Yellow just added sixty million pound. Um, you know, our, our valuation is going to be extremely low and, and our leverage uranium price is extremely high. So uh, that's what we're really working towards. And and I believe we'll get the support to keep us going uh, if the uranium price takes three years to, to go up. But I don't think it's going to take three years. It's just getting too close to the point where these utilities are going to have to do something.
0: If the price of uranium is $40 a pound, what would you guys do at that point?
1: That's a good question. If the uranium price is spot, the uranium spot price is forty bucks a pound. The the contract price is going to be fifty, uh, roughly. So uh, it's a good question. It depends on what our assets are at the time, how much we've actually added in terms of um, resources in copies and other EPLs in Namibia. Um, yeah, interesting question. I don't know the answer because we're not in that situation yet. But quite possibly, uh, you know, putting you know contracts in place and, and working towards development.
0: So why should a potential investors? who are listening use Maranica as one of their uranium exposure vehicles, what would you say to them?
1: We're geographically diverse. We're in the best place to be in the last uranium boom was Namibia. And that's where that's where our blue sky is. That's where we're, we're doing low cost exploration with, with successful exploration uh, recently. Um, we've got the upgrade process, which add value to these assets in Namibia and Australia. And we've got very, very good leverage to the uranium price. Um, that uranium price starts to move then we can only go one way and that's way up north. Um, and the managing director holds a fair amount of the stock vested in the story bought shares only three weeks ago um, very uh, I'm a strong believer in what we're doing and where we're going and um, I've got a very I've got a vested interest in it.
0: And Murray, what is the best way for the audience to reach out to you and the company?
1: Email phone call, I've never not taken a call from a a shareholder. Anybody rings up, I give them the time to talk to them about it, Uh, whether they're happy or unhappy. um, You know, people got questions, you know, respect your shareholders. They're the most important part at the moment. We need shareholders that that understand the story. So uh, I like to engage with them and keep them up to date.
0: All right, sir. Well, thanks for coming on and introducing us to the company.
1: No problems. Thanks very much for having me.